Well, good evening, everybody. Thank you for coming tonight. It's good to see you. I just want to say, last time I came, I got a gold star. I think I mentioned it. Now I've got a green dot with a face. I don't know what they're trying to tell me, but uh, standards are slipping, I guess. So, um, Just one announcement from my side. What we, uh, one of the courses we've run over the, at the church for many, many years is called the Life Training School now, or LTS. It's an intensive uh, four-week discipleship course. And because a lot of the universities are starting later next year, many universities are only starting in March, we run the course in February. And so we're going to make that course available to all students or any young adults that can come at that time. Uh, it's Monday to Thursday mornings from the 1st of Feb to the 28th, four weeks. Uh, and so if you have that opportunity in February to come and just lay a really super good foundation for the rest of the year, rest of your life, uh, life training school. And so it is in the church announcements or if you look on the um, Hatfield Leadership Academy website. There'll be information on your life there too. So as we turn our attention to the Word of God, let's uh, pray. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the opportunity to just meet freely and to hear your Word. I pray tonight, Lord, as I've prepared and, and as you direct me to share tonight, that you would plant exactly that which is necessary in each person's heart tonight uh, and in their mind, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're doing tonight also is we're transitioning between uh, different series. You guys have kind of wrapped up the Back to Basics. It was Back to Basics, Stephen, I'm saying it right. Uh, the Back to Basics series. Uh, and so we're launching a new series tonight on the gifts of the Spirit, which is also one of the foundational elements in what we call charismatic churches. How many of you have heard the name charismatic church? Okay. Have you ever wondered what it means? Uh, often when we use the word charismatic in churches, or in, sorry, not in churches, in in the normal kind of worldly context, it's kind of a leader who's got charisma. You know, they've got a, usually they're an extrovert, sorry, and uh, they, you know, got a little bit of personality to go with it. They walk in the room and the lights switch on, even when there's no electricity, you know, great people for load shedding. Um, but it, it's usually referred to like someone who's got a bit of go and drive and charisma. Now, when we talk about charismatic churches, that's actually got nothing to do with it. Uh, it's not about the worship style, although, you know, my wife led worship awesome tonight. Let's just keep on moving. Um, and all those kinds of things. It's not about singing contemporary songs. It's not about not singing hymns or singing hymns with drums. Uh, it's not about none of those uh, things, actually. Uh, when we talk about charismatic churches, we're talking about churches that follow a certain way of understanding the scriptures and spiritual life and Christian life, which is based on the spiritual gifts. The, you'll see now, I'll, I'll give you the language where charismatic comes from shortly. But this church, for example, has been a charismatic church for about 50 years now, okay? That's like even before I was born, um, just, um, but, okay, um, but long. We've had this tradition of what it means to be a charismatic church, where the Spirit of God came into many churches in the late 1960s, early 1970s, and started moving uh, by a way. And one of the things that's central to charismatic churches is this idea of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So... We, over the next four Sundays, are going to be talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, launching it live tonight, but you can watch it on YouTube each Sunday at the time of your convenience. You don't even have to get up earlier than normal for the Sunday. It will be available for you in that space. And so um, whether you're a novice, you've, you know, first time you're hearing about spiritual gifts or you've kind of heard about it but never experienced it, perhaps you're an old hand, you've been... Uh, you know, in charismatic circles for a while, and you've heard about the gifts, but maybe you're a little bit rusty or stale, or whether you're like a full-flowing expert in the gifts of the Spirit, you know, operating five gifts of the Spirit every day of the week, uh, won't you join us? 
as we do this series. And uh, hopefully there's something we can learn. And obviously we're going to base it all in the scriptures. And so if you'll afford me, I need to just spend some time doing a little bit of the introduction for the series. And then particularly for the context of the scriptures that we're going to be using. And then we'll get into the text tonight. Um, So uh, if we look at the New Testament, there's many spiritual gifts that are mentioned throughout the New Testament. Some scholars say 20 plus different kinds of gifts are mentioned throughout the New Testament. We read a lot of examples about how the gifts operated in the first century church when we read through the book of Acts. But there's three main passages in the New Testament that speak about the gifts of the Spirit. Romans chapter 12, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about gifts that Jesus gave, or uh, like uh, ministry gifts that Jesus gave there. And then the passage that we're going to focus on in this series, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, three chapters in the book of Corinthians that we're going to look at in particular, and we're going to base the series in those chapters. And so in those chapters, uh, Paul, who wrote them, uses two words to speak about the gifts of the Spirit. The first word is the word charismata, and you have to be pretty authentically South African to say right? Because the Greeks also have a sound, okay? Charismata, and that word is based on the Greek root word charis, which is the word for grace. Okay, it's, so it's basically gifts of grace, or grace, gifts given by grace or for the grace of God in the space. And so in the way charismata is used largely by Paul in the New Testament, it has a general meaning or a broad meaning where it refers to any gift that comes from God. So, for example, the gift of salvation, uh, the gifts that God gave the nation of Israel that Paul speaks about in the book of Romans, or as in here, this uh, important scripture in this context is Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where it says that the gift of God, the charismata of God, is eternal life. In Christ Jesus. So eternal life is a gift that God has given us. This is the general or the broad use. It means a gift from God. The gift of salvation, obviously very important. If God did not give us eternal life, then the specific use of the word charismata that we'll talk about now has no context. It has no meaning. So the gifts of grace are given by God. Now, specifically when Paul uses the word as in the chapters that we're going to be studying in this series, it means particularly about the spiritual gift or a spiritual manifestation, a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit. He gives it to you and to me, and it's for others that he gives it through us to. So we'll talk about it specifically in the context of spiritual gifts. Uh, this was normal in the first century church. If we read Thessalonians, Galatians, Romans, many of the New Testament letters, having the spiritual gifts or being aware of the spiritual gifts was a normal part of the life of being in a first century church part of who we are to be. So the first word is charismata, where we get charismatic from, just in case you never made that connection. Okay. The second word that Paul uses is the word pneumatica. Uh, pneuma is one of the Greek words for spirit. And this is a word that Paul uses uh, in chapters 12 and 14 particularly here. And literally it means that which comes from the spirit or spiritual things, maybe beginning of chapter 12, spiritual persons but definitely spiritual things. And in the context of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, it's the gifts of the Spirit that he refers to. I think Paul uses these words interchangeably. interchangeably. At the end of chapter 12, verse 31, he says, eagerly desire the greater spiritual gifts, the greater charismata is the word he uses there. Then he talks about love, and then he starts chapter 14, where he says again, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but there he uses the word pneumatica. So I think he's using it interchangeably. But if you want to perhaps make an emphasis on it, charismata would refer to grace, that the gifts are 
given or received. They're not earned. It's by the grace of God. And pneumatica, that they are from the Spirit of God. So spiritual gifts is the word that Paul uses there. Uh, one of the references that I sourced as I was preparing is called the New Bible Dictionary. And they talk about the spiritual gifts in the following way. Uh, can you put it up, Sam? I just want to get the right words to start. Right. The spiritual gifts are the grace of God coming into visible effect in word and in deed. It's the grace of God coming into visible effect. That which is of the Spirit, which we can't see, God gives to us as gifts, and then they, we make them visible. We manifest them, spiritual manifestations. They become visible in both word and in deed, because different gifts do different things. So that's what we're going to be talking about in the series. Now, particularly for 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, we need to just hear a couple of things, and I'll talk about it as it applies to the section we're dealing with each week, but just so that we're all on the same page to start the series. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, even though in our modern Bibles there's chapter divisions, they're very clearly a unit, both by topic that Paul is speaking about there, but also by the same words are used in chapters 12 and 14, and we've got chapter 13 about love, which uses a lot of gifts as examples right in the middle. And I'll tell you why Paul does that in week three. Um, but in terms of the immediate context of this passage, we must understand that it's about the church gathered. It's when the Corinthian church came together that Paul is speaking about the spiritual gifts in that context. Because they were doing some things well and they were doing some things not so well, and that's why Paul has to write to them here. But the immediate context as we read it that we must always first think of when we hear these words is it's when we're together, the church gathered. Now, whether that's a small group or a group of this size, which is semi-large or medium, or thousands of people together, it's the context of the church gathered. And what the text is going to teach us there is some principles about how the gifts work when the church gathers. But when we understand those principles, we can for sure apply it in our families, in our workplaces, and in other public spaces as well. So the gifts are not just for when the church gathers, but the context that Paul is speaking about is uh, there. And so we learn the principles there, and we can extend them and apply them in other spaces equally well. Probably in these, uh, not probably, in these three chapters, we don't only have one list of gifts, there are five lists that are gift, gift lists in these chapters for us. And probably uh, depends how you count and which ones you think speak about the same things, but there's about 15 to 18 different gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned in these five lists. So you'll see on the screen, uh, the first list, which we'll talk about next week, is in chapter 12 from verse 7 to 11. Towards the end of chapter 12, there's a second list from verse uh, 27 to 31, where Paul mentions different gifts. Uh, then also at the end, towards the end of chapter 14, from verse 26 to 28, there's another list of gifts that come up there. And then in chapter 13, there's actually two lists of gifts, one at the beginning, one towards the middle of the chapter, where Paul uses the gifts as examples. But even there, he also mentions different kinds of gifts. And so one of the things that we think that why Paul mentions these different kinds of gifts is what he's trying to explain to the Corinthians is that there's a wide variety, a wide diversity of gifts. There's one gift and only one gift that's mentioned in all five lists. Anyone want to guess? Speaking in tongues. Well done. Okay, speaking in tongues. Uh, and probably what we think there is that the Corinthians had a bit of an over-focus on tongues. And so Paul, usually when he mentions it, always it's somewhat towards the end of the list, except at the beginning of chapter 13. But it's, it's the only one that's mentioned in all the lists. And so there's some thought as to why 
Paul does that, which I'll hopefully be able to help you understand as we go through the series as well. What we must remember when we come to these chapters is that when the Corinthians asked Paul a question, when he wrote this letter to them, they're probably wrestling with something a little bit different than what we would be when we come to these chapters. Let me explain why. One of the things we must understand about the Corinthian church is that it was already a gifted church. They already knew about the gifts of the Spirit. Paul's not writing yet to teach them about the gifts of the Spirit. They knew. Prove it to you from the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7, Paul writes, and he says, in his introduction to the church, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the Lord Jesus to appear. They already knew the gifts. They didn't lack any spiritual gifts. Now, some churches today, when they start the discussion, they start the discussion by lacking spiritual gifts. And so that we ask sometimes different questions. This was not the Corinthian question. They didn't lack the gifts. They knew about them. And by the way, so they seemed to be prepared to operate in the gifts till Jesus came back. And so that should be our kind of framework as well. Okay. Um, we might get into some things related to that a little bit later in the series. So the Corinthians church was a gifted church. So probably Paul's writing to them a lot more about the how to use the gifts and not to maybe over-focus on certain gifts which they thought uh, gave them certain spiritual status. Um, whereas probably when we come to this passage, we want to know what are the gifts, how do they work, and how do they operate. So a little bit of a different entry as we come to these passages. And as we go through the weeks, I'll show you where that makes some difference in how we apply this text. One of the other questions that the Corinthians also had is this idea of what does it mean to be spiritual or a spiritual person? And their answer was probably that you really speak in tongues a whole lot and you operate in the gifts a whole lot. Because if I can speak in tongues a whole lot, then it shows how spiritual I am. And so they were probably, as they were meeting, speaking in tongues probably too much, which is not a problem we have in churches today, not even in Hatfield. Okay, I think, I would suggest. Okay, and so we come at this from very different places, but that will kind of be one of the subtexts as we go through the series is this question of what does it mean to be a spiritual person, even for the Corinthians, but also for us today. And so there's similarities between us and the Corinthians, and as we go, we'll look at it. I mean, we still gather whether it's definitely probably not the same as when they gathered in Corinth. There's probably some very distinct differences in what happened when we got together, uh, when we get together as to when they got together. But there's things that are the same. We still gather. The Holy Spirit is still present, and the Holy Spirit still wants to bestow gifts on the church today and make them available so that the church can be edified because that is always the purpose of the gifts, and you'll see that very clearly as we go through the series. God gives the gifts so that the church can be edified. That simply means that God gives the gifts because he wants to see the church being built up. He wants to see the church strong. He wants to see the church healthy. So the title of my message, finally, after the series introduction tonight, is The Body and the Gifts. The Body and the Gifts. How does the body of Christ uh, work or think or should, should it think around the gifts? And so we're going to start reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and from verse 12. And so if you have your device with a Bible on it, or you have a, uh, like a real Bible, hard copy Bible, um, please open it, 1 Corinthians 12. It will come up on the screen, and you're welcome to read. Join it with us together. So, Paul writes, and I'm starting in the middle, not at the beginning where Paul starts, because I think it's something we need to just land first 
before we can get to start hearing what the, where Paul starts with the Corinthians. We'll come to, back to the beginning of chapter 12 next week. So, verse 12, Paul writes and he says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. A healthy body has many parts. So it is with Christ. So it is with the body of Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, what's Paul trying to do here other than a semi-zen kind of thing? Okay. Simply put is this, is that just like your body must have many parts to function and work properly as a healthy body, so must the church of Jesus. It needs many different parts, and different parts doing different things, not all doing the same things. And very important, you know that if one part of your body doesn't work well, it affects the rest, and same in the body of Christ. If one part's not doing what God wants it to do, it does have an effect on the broader body of Christ. But what happens is, how do we become part of the body of Christ? When we get born again, when we put our faith in Jesus, confess our sins, and we repent, we change our minds that we're no longer living for ourselves and we want to live for him, and we want to walk towards Christ and not away from Christ. All those kinds of images are helpful here. What happens is, not only does God come and make your spirit new, he doesn't only come and make you a new person, new creature on the inside, in the sense that you get born again, your spirit is made alive in Christ. What the Holy Spirit also does, Paul says, is he baptizes us. He immerses us into the body. So you get born again, and you get made part of the church, the body of Christ. Double deal. Bet you didn't always know that, okay? So whether you like it or not, (laughs) you're part of the body of Christ when you put your faith in Jesus. And actually, you should like it. It's a wonderful privilege. And so this is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is not something you do. It's not something you earn. It's not related to membership classes or what documents you've signed. It's really a working of the Holy Spirit. He makes you part of the body of Christ. If you have faith in Christ and you're born again, you are part of the body of Christ. There's no special qualifications. Paul says neither Jew nor Gentile. In other words, race and ethnicity are not qualifications to be part of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit makes you part of the body of Christ. In the first century world, Jew and Gentile also had religious connotations. It does not matter your religious pedigree or your religious background. The Holy Spirit makes you part of the body of Christ when you come to Christ. It doesn't matter whether you're slave or free. Your socioeconomic context does not qualify you or disqualify you from being part of the body of Christ. It's when you have faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit makes you part of the body of Christ. Um, age, since we're younger in the room, uh, age does not distinguish whether you're part of the body of Christ. Whether a child of three or four-year-old, five-year-old puts their faith in Jesus, they are as much part of the body of Christ as the 90-something-year-old who, who becomes a Christian and part of the body of Christ. So in the body, we have one body and one spirit. That's the basis for unity. That's why we're together, not only here as a local church, but all believers alive today on the earth and also all believers who've been alive in history make up one church with many parts, just like your body. Okay, so no matter how good looking you think your hands are, your whole body can't be a hand. Okay, you need other parts to be a healthy functioning body. 
So diversity and unity are God's design intention for the body of Christ. There must be difference, but there's one spirit and one body. And so what Paul does now in the rest of the passage really is he shares two body analogies with us. Okay? And we want to look at these two analogies because they both make different points. Each one makes a separate point. It's very important for us to understand around the body and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But just a word of caution. Don't get too stuck into the details of the analogy. As with most analogies, they're useful to a point. Okay? Even Paul's inspired biblical analogies. So, for example, in these analogies, you'll hear about the eye saying or the hand saying or the head speaking or the foot saying something. What you should not do... I know, it's really funny. Okay. Um, What you... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) This is the cutest giggle. I love you so much. She's my daughter. I'm allowed to say it. Okay. Um, Not being a weird old man yet. Um, (laughs) Okay. Back. So when you start saying, you know, when you start going, now, which gift is the foot and which gift is the eye, that's not what Paul is talking about. I think that's beyond the intention of the text. The intention is in the overall picture in the analogy. Are we okay? Everyone, minds back to the text now. All right. So body analogy number one, 1 Corinthians 12 from verse 15 to 20. Let's read it together and then see what Paul is saying. Paul writes in the analogy and he says, now, if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If all were one part, where would the body be? It wouldn't be a body. Okay? As it is, there are many parts but one body. To understand this analogy, what I found helpful is to look at who's speaking and the direction they're speaking in. So who's speaking in the body, in, in the analogy? It's the part. The eye is saying, or the ear is saying, or the hand is saying, whichever part is saying. And it's speaking in terms of direction of its self. And what is it saying? It's saying, because I am not something, 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 I do not belong. This phrase, because I am not, I do not belong. The part is speaking of itself. And so it's disqualifying itself. It's saying, you know, because I'm not a prophet, I don't participate or I don't belong. Or because I'm not a mercy person, I don't fit here and I don't belong. Or because I don't have the, the gift of governance and administration, uh, I don't belong, or because I can't teach, I don't belong, or because I can't sing, I don't belong, or because whatever. Okay. Because I am not, I don't belong. And so what's happening here is the part of the body is disqualifying themselves from their role in the body. And so there's this bit of a thing where, they, where the parts are starting to compare themselves one with the other, which is not healthy. Okay, And so this goes against God's plan because verse 18 very clearly says that God has placed the parts of the body, each one just as he wanted them to be. And if you can hear that tonight, God has placed you in the body of Christ at this moment in time here in Pretoria and Hatfield Christian Church just as he wanted you to be. And he will give you the gifts just as he wants 
to be. Not for you, actually, for others, but we'll get to that next week. Okay. So, being part of the body, principle number one that you must remember, with the body and the gifts. Being part of the body, principle number one, do not disqualify yourself or the gift that God gives you. Do not disqualify yourself or the gift that God gives you. So you can't say, because I'm too young, I can't participate when the church gathers. You can't say, because I'm not male or female, whichever gender is the one you're not, I can't participate. Because you, you can't say, because I'm not employed at the church, I'm not gifted to be employed at the church, or because I'm not a pastor, or because of my background, you cannot say that you do not belong. Okay. Will you remember that phrase? Because I'm not, I do not belong. Don't disqualify yourself or the gift that God gives you. That's principle number one. Let's look at the second body analogy. And we'll see that Paul takes it in a bit of a different direction here. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Because like, otherwise it would just be rolling around. But let's not get onto that. Okay. I cannot, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. This is our practice. And those parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts do not need special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so note again, here it's the part speaking. It's the, the, eye, the foot or the hand or whatever speaking. But notice the direction of the speech. Now it's not speaking to itself. It's speaking of another. And it says, I don't need... No, I'm not going to look at anybody. I don't need you. Okay? I don't need you. It doesn't... The part, uh, what Paul is saying is you cannot say that. We cannot say that because my face is pretty, I don't need my heart. The heart is a vital organ, and therefore the body constructs it that it gets special attention. If your heart stops working, don't matter what, how good your teaching gift is. Okay, because then you're not up front on stage getting stage time, you're lying in the coffin in the front. Okay, so some parts that we don't see are vital, they're more important. So it's not always the parts that get public acclaim or visible acclaim that are essential. All the parts are essential. Equal concern for one another is the principle. And so we cannot dismiss other parts of the body of Christ. We cannot, for example, I'm going to use general examples, speak of another Christian denomination and say, well, we don't need them. We cannot speak to other movements or uh, movements of the body of Christ and say, we don't need them. God's concern is that there's no division. It's one body. We cannot speak within ourselves of, you know, well, we don't need these prophetic people. They're just like, you know, prophetic people, weird and stuff. We don't need, I don't need you. I don't need you. We don't need this. We don't need that in our church. We can't say that. That's not how God has built the body, diversity and unity. You know this. You know that, have you ever had a, like a, a decent paper cut? Not like a play play one, a real one on your, on the finger you, you write with. Anybody? Okay. One little paper cut on one little finger. How did that affect the rest of your body? If one part suffers, the whole 
suffers. If one part's not functioning properly, the others have to compensate or the others have to do what God maybe needed you to do in that space. Okay. So being part of the body, principle number two. Principle number one, don't dismiss yourself or the gift or gifts God gives you. Principle number two, don't dismiss others or the gifts that God gives them. Don't dismiss others or the gifts that God gives them. We are one body. Last verse we're going to read for tonight before we wrap up, which concludes Paul's body analogies. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. And these are words we need to really hear with our hearts. Paul writes and he says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. If you are a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you are part of the body of Christ. I could walk up to each one of you tonight, make you confess Jesus, or just to check, and then, then I could look you in the eye and I could honestly tell you, you are part of the body. There's no super saints, you are part of the body. There's no special categories, you are part of the body. Each one is part of the body because that's how God made it. That's how God wants the church to function. He doesn't want, you know, if you don't use a part of your body, it, it atrophies or it frots or whatever, and it doesn't work. That's not how, the, how God designed the body. He designed for each of us to be fulfilling the role that he wants us to fulfill in that space. So let's apply what we've read so far uh, in the series. So you belong and you are part of the body and so are others. There's nothing like, you know, islands in the stream? There's no island Christians. There's, there's a body. There's one of us together. Irrespective of background, if you're living towards Christ, you're not living willfully and habitually in sin, you can still be part of the body, but you're part, you're part of, you belong to part of the body. Don't disqualify yourself. Don't say, because I'm not, therefore I don't belong. Don't allow that frame of thinking. Perhaps you think, you know, I've done this in my past. If you've confessed it, if you've sorted it, if you've dealt with it, if you've handled your sin, let me put it that way, appropriately and biblically, you don't disqualify yourself. I need to do an important qualification here. God will give you the gift even if you're not perfect, because nobody's perfect, not even me. God will give you the gift. You don't have to be, perfection is not the qualification for the gift. But if you're willfully living in sin and you're willfully walking away from Christ or turning your back on Christ, um, not living like you know you, you should in terms of how God wants you to live. I do think people can still operate in the gifts. In fact, we've heard stories of people who've been not doing well, but they've still been operating because it's a gift. It's received, not earned. But just always remember, you will give an account. One day God will say to you, remember that gift I gave you? What were you thinking? <laughs> no, or what were you doing? So the, you, ultimately everybody gives an account. Is that okay? So you must understand that. But you can do great damage if you're operating in the gifts but you're not living right. So please don't do that. And just, you know, sort it. Stop it or start doing something right. Confess, repent. Just deal with the sin. It's just sin. Okay? And you think you understand what I'm saying. So don't disqualify yourself unnecessarily. That's what I'm saying. 
Don't say, I don't belong. And then don't dismiss others. Don't say, I don't need you. We need everybody. We need one another. If we want to be a healthy body, we have to have diversity and unity. No passive members. A healthy, God-honoring body embraces everybody. And the role that God has, remember, God places them. Not the leaders. Not. Now, there's wisdom that comes from leaders. And there's journeying and there's learning and there's perspective that comes. And timing and different things like that. But God builds the, the body. So no passive members. And so part of what Paul is saying to the Corinthians in terms of their question of what does it mean to be spiritual is part of what it means to be spiritual is to be part of their body and engaged in Christian community. That's spirituality. True spirituality, and I know people did this at stages in church history. I love church history. You know, went and lived alone in caves and stuff like that. But eventually they all formed community. Community is essential. Being part of the body, the connectedness is part of what helps you maintain a healthy spirituality and not become some weirdo in spaces. So please allow me to to pray for you tonight and then we'll wrap up. Father, I first want to pray for perhaps those in the room who've disqualified themselves, who've You know, maybe they felt you prompting them to do something or they felt to go and pray for someone or they felt to share an encouraging word with someone but then they said, because I'm not, I I don't belong or words to that effect. Lord, I pray tonight that scales would fall from their eyes and that they would see that even if they're younger, even if they're older, even if they're still a child, that they belong in the body of Christ because you've placed them there. And thank you, Lord, that it is by grace and by the the gift and the empowering of your spirit that we can become a healthy body. Forgive us also, Lord, where we've dismissed others, where we've said, well, we don't really need them, or I don't need you, or we don't need that gift. Forgive us, Father, if we've missed part of your gift to the church, part of your gift in our lives, part of what you wanted to do. And so, Father, we sit here tonight and we say thank you that we can be part of the body. Each and every single one of us is part of your body. We belong, we're accepted, we're loved, but also that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available to us. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So next week on part two, YouTube, Facebook, online. It will be available on Sunday. We're going to go back to the beginning of chapter 12, and we're going to specifically look at what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to definitely get through that first list in chapter 12 from verse 7 to 11. There's nine gifts listed there. And and online, um, if you don't come live to the morning service next week, I think I'll get through about 15 of the gifts that are mentioned in this passage in defining them. It's a little bit longer, so start with coffee. Okay. You know, worship and then have the coffee ready. We all know how well we do it at home, don't we? So we're going back to the beginning of chapter 12, and then we'll look at chapters 13 and 14 in the weeks preceding.